Hey everyone, this is Matt, and I wanted to let you know that this week on the show, we have two wonderful episodes with the Human Diagnosis Project of Cashlack Morning Report. On episode number one, which you're about to hear, the curbsiders solve a mystery case of cough. And on episode two, which will air in about two days' time, Resuminesh, with the help of the curbsiders, will solve a case of abdominal pain. These episodes were so much fun to record, so I hope you enjoy them as much as we did. For entertainment, education, and information purposes only, and the topics discussed should not be used solely to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any diseases or conditions. But more, the views and statements expressed on this podcast are solely those of those, and should not be interpreted to reflect official policy or position of any entity, aside from possibly cash like more hospital and affiliate outreach programs. If indeed there are any, in fact, there are none. Pretty much, we are responsible if you should always do your own homework and let us know the world. Welcome back to the Curbsiders. I'm Dr. Matthew well, Watto. Hello, Matthew. Hello. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Stuart's not here. I, as you know, that it now throws me off not to be thrown off. <laughs> <laughs> Stuart, uh, don't fret, audience. Stuart is here for the episode, but he had to step out and we record this afterwards. With me is the great Dr. Paul Williams. Hi, Paul. Hi, Matt. How's it going? Good. And and returning, returning uh, I guess, moderator is, is Hannah Abrams. Hannah R. Abrams. Hannah, thank you for joining us. Hi. Um, so I'm super excited to bring this show to our audience because I can't wait to show them how fun um, and how uh, humanizing it can be to have diagnostic reasoning practice kind of both in your daily lives and as a conscious thing. I'm sorry, you mispronounced humiliating. (laughs) (laughs) This is a yet another episode with the Human DX Project. We're calling this our Cashlack Morning Report. And Paul, before we get to that, I guess you should tell the audience, in case we have some new listeners, what is it that we generally do on this show? Oh my God, I almost forgot. We are the internal medicine podcast that uses expert interviews to bring you clinical pearls and practice changing knowledge. This time there's no expert interview. We do have an expert uh, clinical diagnostician who's going to show us the way because as you'll hear, we need a great deal of help. (laughs) Yes, we need lots of way showing. Yes. (laughs) So Dr. Reza Manesh is an assistant professor of medicine at the John Hopkins University School of Medicine. He is the assistant program director for clinical reasoning of the Osler Medical Training Program. As a clinical educator, he is a he is passionate about patient care and the teaching of both graduate and undergraduate medical trainees. His academic interests include the study and teaching of clinical reasoning and diagnostic expertise. Dr. Manesh earned his MD from the University of Pittsburgh School of Medicine and completed residency at the University of California, San Francisco School of Medicine. I hope if you liked the first episode, I think uh, you're really going to love this one. So without further ado, here's our interview with Dr. Reza Manesh. Pun. <laughs> we are back on the curbsiders with our frenemy, Reza Manesh. <laughs> and, uh, I, I'm leaving this chat right now. <laughs> Reza, uh, I was going to title this episode, Cashlack Morning Report, uh, The Curbsiders Revenge. So, uh, or maybe just, maybe just rematch, uh, human diagnosis rematch. I don't know. Something like that. I'll, I'll work it out in post. I just had an amazing idea. Cause I think it should be morning report with a U. <laughs> <laughs> For the cognitive autopsy. Yes. <laughs> That's that. morning report and you. I like that, Paul. That's much more subtle. I went big. I, I like your, I like your version better. 
one of the things, you know, you guys like to self-deprecate, but you guys have all actually been practicing a lot from what I've heard. And so before we get started with the cases, I wanted to give you a chance to um, kind of explain what you've been doing, give any best practices, any tips that you have for how to practice. I I would just say that fitting it in is one of the, the key things. I, I tend to do this. I have a morning train ride, which was intentional in how I, ch- I, I chose a job that would allow me to commute by train so that I would have time for, for reading and practicing things. So I always try to make sure I do one or two cases on a train ride. And when I'm doing the cases, I basically try to pretend like I'm on this episode in front of a crowd of people trying to build the differential diagnosis and reorganize it as new pieces of information come up and and also try to guess like what would be the next finding that they're going to reveal like what test would I have ordered if I was seeing this person or what other what other data points would I need. No, and same for me. I, I use the the public shaming of the last episode to sort of drive and motivate me to, to do this a little bit more frequently and a little bit more systematically. I feel like before I, I thought that the app and the whole human DX thing was neat, but I wasn't doing it in any kind of organized way. I just kind of burned through a case in the elevator, which is not, not the best way to do it. <laughs> so instead, I actually tried to sort of reorder my differential and actually think a little bit more practically. And then I, I still, there's an, an attending, the this poor woman is someone that I sign out to often. I don't know how she always seems to follow me on service, but we... Very often, we'll run the list after she picks up my patients. So two days later, I'll just go back and make a point of reviewing <laughs> the patient list and just finding out all the places where I screwed up so I could do better next time. So I'm Excellent. just trying to be a little bit more deliberate. Yeah, I think I can mirror that too. Since the last one, last time we talked, uh, being on service, went back about five days later and followed up with all my patients. And same thing. Cool. Yeah. And so, Reza, you've also been at work. Uh, so can you tell us a little bit about how you evolved, how you kept working on the hypoglycemia schema, what you've been up to? Well, well, Hannah, you helped me significantly with that schema, so I want to thank you for that. Um, if you recall, when I discussed hypoglycemia, I felt that schema was like a 1.0 version. I later went and, and showed my schema to four colleagues, two generalists, Robbie Jiha and Gurpreet Dhaliwal, and two endocrinologists, Tahir Mudarisi, and Ken Feingold. And this resulted in hypoglycemia schema version 2.0. And by the way, if there's a haunting of Hill House 2.0, I'll definitely watch that too. (laughs) I'm (laughs) good. There's going to (laughs) be. Oh, my man, Paul. Um, And so one thing I didn't have in my my first schema, which is an important diagnosis, is post-gastric bypass associated hypoglycemia. So I was able to update my schema with that (laughs) diagnosis and several others. And I'm not even lying, like a week later, I had a patient with post-gastric bypass hypoglycemia. So I I was really grateful to uh, my colleagues for helping me update my schema. And then if I may make a shameless plug for a podcast and website I helped develop um, that's related to clinical problem solving. In fact, we're called the Clinical Problem Solvers, and you can access us at clinicalproblemsolving.com. My colleague and, and good friend, Robbie Jiha, who has a library of schemas, asked me for advice on how he should re- release his schemas. And, and honestly, inspired by your show and the impact you guys have had on all of the learners out there, I recommended uh, he create a podcast and release one schema at a time. And luckily, he requested my help with the, with the project. And so we recruited my roommate and even better resident, um, Arsalan Derakshan, and Robbie's stellar resident, Charmin Shikarchian. So 
our all our content is free and I don't mean to take up too much time, but if you access us on clinicalproblemsolving.com, you'll see our format. We have schema-based episodes and we have clinical unknowns where we invite an expert to discuss a case in real time because after all, that's really what inspired me to pr- pursue general medicine and diagnostic medicine. And the last comment I'll make is our Twitter handle is at CP Solvers. And uh, prior to tonight's episode, we had 10 followers. Uh, five of them were either family or partner. Uh, then <laughs> Hannah tweeted us out, and now we have like 100 followers. So thank you so much, oh Hannah. <laughs> Granted, the curbsiders tweeted, tweeted us out, but um, I'm really glad that some of our listeners are going to be able to see the diagnostic schemas that y'all have put together uh, we got a kind of an early look at them, and they are really well done. Uh, is that your handwriting on those? They're really nice. Yes, um, it, it is. But th- so, so Robbie it introduced me to Evernote and the iPad and the stylus. And you got to expand the window as much as possible while you're writing, and it'll make your handwriting much better than it actually is. And you also develop carpal tunnel syndrome, which I'm <laughs> starting to develop. Uh, thank you, Robbie, for that. Yeah, Reza, I might want to talk to you about that offline because those those were pretty nice. And that might be a quicker way for me to make some of the figures for our show. But we'll talk offline about that. I think, Hannah, we should probably get to the, the cases. So, Reza, the final diagnostic schema that you put together for hypoglycemia was super comprehensive. Uh, but just for fun, and since Human DX has kind of helped us put this episode together, I actually wanted to look on their website and see um, whether or not they could add anything to the differential. So, kind of like we explained last time, Human DX is a worldwide effort to build an open intelligence system that maps the steps to any diagnosis or management plan. So, over time, if enough people contribute to making a diagnosis, giving a differential for a given set of symptoms, the site generates a page for that symptom that has kind of the related differential, the other parts of that same illness script. So, in this case, even though the differential was really broad and it really um, included, it had input from a lot of experts. I thought maybe the wisdom of the crowd could help us out. And it turns out that one of the related diagnoses on the page was, uh, quote unquote, finding of other psychotropic drug in the blood. And it turns out that MDMA or ecstasy can induce a severe endogenous hyperinsulinemia. So hopefully, you know, if your patient, if the reason that your patient is hypoglycemic is because of MDMA. (laughs) but it's pretty cool that Human DX was actually able to help us find a differential that we otherwise wouldn't have seen. That was actually at the top of my list for that 74-year-old patient with jaundice. <laughs> <laughs> you never know. Uh, to kind of transition us into the cases, I'll explain the format again. So like we did last time, uh, every day we'll, we'll use one of the Human Diagnosis Project Global Morning Report cases that users can solve every day. So today we're going to use two of those cases, and I'll present each case as it appears on the Human Diagnosis Project website, sort of like a stump the professor exercise. Um, So either Reza or the curbsiders team are going to try and solve the the case in real time without knowing anything about it. And with each diagnostic finding, we'll kind of discuss what our differential is, what we think might be going on. Listeners, you can go ahead and pause after each finding and follow along if you like through the links in the show notes. At the end, we'll do a cognitive autopsy. We'll talk about our own diagnostic reasoning process. So without further ado, can everyone click the link in the show notes? And I'll switch over to my secret script. 
I don't care for this. <laughs> <laughs> so this case uh, is for the curbsiders, and it was written by Dr. Stephanie Sherman, who is an inpatient clinician educator at Baylor College of Medicine. So this is the case of a 40-year-old man with a cough. A little bit more about his cough. It started five months ago. It's worse at night, and it's been associated with some dyspnea on exertion. You chat with him a little bit. You find out that he's also had some unintentional weight loss of about 25 pounds in three months. And you talk to him a little bit more. You find out that he works at a ta as a taxidermist, uh, and he's been exposed to the hides and skins of deer, goats, ducks, other birds, bobcat, warthog, wild boar, and some exotic animals like giraffes. He says his boss has a similar cough. Oh boy, I hope I hope that's extraneous information because my knowledge of taxidermy associated cough is not okay. not strong. Paul, tell me you well, have a, Paul, you have a schema for this one? Sure. Sure. <laughs> so it's we've already talked about my senior thesis, right? <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. You were like grinding up ticks or something. Yeah, yeah, looking for a tick borne illness. So this is I feel like I've already got this one. I mean, I'm not gonna ruin it for you guys, so I'll let you talk about it first. I, I feel like I've got it pretty that's much hilarious. locked in. Ehrlichiosis. <laughs> All right. So we have we have a forty year old male with chronic cough. He's also having dyspnea on exertion and weight loss. So sort of a little bit of the, I guess you could consider this, he's, they're not giving us night sweats, uh, fevers, so not fully B symptoms, but so chronic cough, that's sort of where we're starting. And then he's got this occupational exposure, which I imagine might be, uh, at the, you have to at least consider it if someone's giving you that interesting history. Right. Uh, you, you know, I, I wanted to jump in here. I mean, would you approach it as chronic cough or would you approach it as dyspnea on exertion with uh, like failure to thrive. I mean, th those to me are two different schema, right? So when I think about chronic cough, I think I think about GERD, post-nasal drip, asthma, eosinophilic bronchitis, and then other somewhat more rare things. That's that's kind of the way that I, that I approach it, depending on if it's upper or lower. But if I'm thinking about dyspnea on exertion, I'm thinking about um, something else. So, so maybe we have to over they, uh, Venn diagram this thing and see where they overlap. Yeah, yeah right. Um, yeah. So, so when you, when you look at the, the symptoms, so dyspnea on exertion with weight loss, I'm thinking TB, uh, I'm thinking some kind of like insidious malignant type process, whether it's an insidious, uh, infection or something that's putting again into like, into calorie malnutrition. So he's, he's, he's expending more calories than he's taking in for some reason. So that's putting him into an energy, uh, imbalance, um, so yeah, so I mean, that's kind of all I have at this point is just is looking at, um, kind of the overall gestalt of of how I'm approaching this. Now, granted, there's multiple things that, that's going to be in this. Things like um, malignancies, uh, atypical pneumonias, tuberculosis, um, some tick-borne illnesses, and. Uh, well, we gotta we gotta remember from last time, Reza. Reza, I thought this was helpful that you said the big four. So it's sort of like autoimmune, inflammatory, malignancy, infectious, right. infiltrative. Right. So I think, of course, we gotta include all these. Those things. are all still in. Yeah, they're all still in there. Right. I don't think we can't really make any kind of decision about this. But wh where would you be on your differential diagnosis? So, so I, I think, just, I mean, TB and malignancy would be high, and and I yeah. would also include interstitial lung disease could be up yeah. there. Now, would you keep malignancy on there, knowing that his coworker also 
has this the same type cough. I think that, that to would, me that, that would put it down towards lowered, the bottom. I guess. Yeah. But I mean, everyone's co- I mean, everyone's coughing. It's it's uh, December. <laughs> <laughs> okay. How about HIV? I'm sure you could. I don't think that's ever wrong. Yeah. Okay. What about <laughs> lupus? We should put lupus on there too. Sure. But but you you, you know what? Uh, if I may say one thing, Stuart, I loved your initial approach to this case because you highlighted two specific problems: chronic cough and dyspion exertion. So essentially, you're creating two Venn diagrams, as Matt had said, and try you'll explain each independently, and then you'll try to explain them together through a unifying diagnosis. That's a a great idea. And so, for example, for like dyspnea, I don't don't know if you guys ever saw that pyramid of dyspnea, where if you divide it into four segments, starting at the base, you have pathology of the heart, the lung, anemia and metabolic acidosis. So that's like a simple memory tool. And then you can take an anatomic approach within each of those organs. So you can approach the heart thing of the pericardium, the valve, the myocardium, the lungs, you can start at the upper airways, lower airways, pleural space. So just to, to summarize, I love what you said, Stuart, cough, dyspnea exertion, can we unify the two? And then you shared your DDX for chronic cough, which is beautiful. And then having that pyramid of shortness of breath for dyspnea exertion and seeing which one of those causes might also result in a cough. Yeah. You know, if I were to do that, I think the most likely overlapping point would be some kind of eosinophilic bronchitis. So, and that would, that would include a lot of the things that we talked about, um, but certainly could also include other things as well. So like the uh, lung cancers could potentially cause like a ball and chain type uh, presentation or, um, you know, some kind of, uh, uh, you know, it, anyways, I, I, I don't want to be the one talking here. So Matt, go ahead, take it away. I, I don't think we've heard from the great Dr. Paul Williams yet. Cause he knows the answer. I no, absolutely not. But I mean, it's, <laughs> so it's, I think it's helpful to break it down that way. And then I, now we have, I think to add to that Venn diagram, you have the weight mm-hmm. loss, right? Mm-hmm. So that's, that's an additional yeah. consideration. So a lot of the things that cause chronic cough and maybe even cause dyspnea exertion are not necessarily associated with weight loss. So that helps us narrow it down a little bit more. I, I hope that this place is not so cruel as to throw in an exposure type history and then make it completely non-relevant and then add um, a detail like the boss has a similar cough as well. So those I, things, I, yeah, there's some sort of, there's some sort of reaction happening here. So my, my suspicion, so this is some sort of, and it's easy to say inflammatory process probably, but it's, you know, I, I right now I'm sort of infectious mm-hmm. versus inflammatory, just based on the fact yeah. that you have an exposure and you have two people with similar symptoms. And then if you, no, I'm just trying to think of a way to sort of unify like hypersensitivity, pneumonitis, uh, something like that. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. That's, or that's okay. is is Bobcat lung a thing? Uh, that's I think <laughs> yeah. you know we can talk so. Yeah, I think it's warthog yeah. fancier's disease. So. <laughs> Did you get to? That's way better, Paul. <laughs> My favorite part of this case is that they say things like bobcat, warthog, wild boar, and some, some exotic other animals. exotic animals. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like bobcat's not exotic enough. What is exotic? Yeah. Um, anyway, giraffes, apparently. Um, all right, you guys ready for the next clue? Sure. I got it, guess. Okay, so uh, you get his vitals and a physical exam. So his temperature is 98.8, heart rate 102, blood pressure 166 over 107. He has rails at the left lung base and two-plus lower extremity edema. Yeah. So, okay. So th- this kind of points more towards a pulmonary etiology. 
um, for me at least. So looking at the lower extremity edema shows some kind of increased pulmonary pressure, so right heart type strain presentation with uh, Rawls at the left lung base. Why do we, why do we got to use that French word? Can't we just say crackles? I mean, you could say fine crackles. Who says Rawls? I mean, come on. All of our words are either Latin or Greek, yet we have one random French word. Why? I I don't have an answer, Stuart. I think we should just press on with the case. I was prepared to sit in awkward silence. I could have done that for another couple of minutes. <laughs> There's also, so, so we have some new, you know, now we have the physical findings. So we have hypertension, tachycardia. There's presumably something going on at the left base, whether it's some uh, pulmonary edema or if there's um, if there's like crackles from like an ILD or something. And then the lower extremity edema suggests either there's like a nephrotic type picture or there's portal hypertension or there's right heart failure. So those would all sort of enter the differential. Does mm-hmm. does that any of do any of those things make us think that they would also cause the dyspnea, the cough, and the weight yeah. loss. Well, you could have like an atypical pneumonia, like a mycoplasma pneumonia or chlamydia-type pneumonia that would present like this with uh, insidious weight loss, insidious presentation. Three, five months is quite impressive, though. Um, yeah, I wasn't expecting the hypertension. Uh, that's that's what's making yeah, that's, me that's think strange. there's like uh, something producing, you know. Yeah, he's 40 and he's male. So there you go. <laughs> okay, so he just, just has untreated hypertension. That's, you know, that's, that's possible. Sure, and he's tachycardic. Why? Who knows? And he's taxidermist. He's probably sitting back there with cigars all day long. That's that's how I envision him, at least. Okay. I, I'm I'm throwing a lot of my own perceptions on this. <laughs> <laughs> You've given him a rich backstory that is not congruent with the actual case. <laughs> Stuart's the only Texan, and this case is from Texas, so. There we go. I'm not actually a Texan. I'm just a transplant. Oh. <laughs> this guy's probably going to need a transplant, too. Uh-oh. Oh. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. All right. Yeah, I don't know that I have anything else to 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 order. I don't know. Do we want to reorganize our differential? I still think it's generally the same. Um, we were talking mostly about mostly infectious still. And it could be some, some sort of malignancy. I think it could still be an occupational exposure causing some sort of uh, hypersensitivity, hypersensitivity or or yeah. auto or inflammatory you know response to it. Um, certainly malignancy, and I guess you. I don't, we don't know this isn't TB. It seems less likely based on the history that we're getting so far. Anything that you wanted to add to the differential based on what you got in this kind of set of clues? I'm trying to think of endocrine conditions uh, that might be. um, Transmittable. (laughs) <laughs> transmittable. Oh, yeah. You're still this boss, this boss with a cough. Yeah, I'm, I'm like, let's, I'm, I'm, let's not anchor. Yeah, well, the, the problem is, again, kind of like what Paul was saying, they're giving us a clue, and I'm thinking that clue has something to do with the case. This is the problem in real life. Not all clues have anything to do with the case. You know, if you ask a ton of questions, you're going to get red herrings all over the place. Yeah, yeah. That, that's what makes real life a little bit harder is that you have no idea, you know, yeah, you have no idea what information is important and what's not. They talk about that in Sherlock Holmes a lot too, Hannah, uh, for your, your earlier pick. Speaking of which, there is a new Sherlock Holmes movie coming out. <laughs> okay. Let, <laughs> Will Ferrell. Let's get the and next so, clue. It, it, oh, yeah, Reza, what do you... And Matt, sorry. Yeah, I, I was just going to say that I think one of the most 
challenging parts of making a diagnosis is knowing what signal versus noise. Yeah. So the question mm-hmm. is, is the history of him being a taxidermist signal and related to the final diagnosis? Or is it noise? If it ends up being related, then we'll be like, yes, we did a great job of including that in the way we're framing the patient. If it's irrelevant, then we'll say that's a red herring. So a good exercise is to create two problem representations. The problem representation is the epidemiology, the duration of symptoms, and the clinical syndrome. So the way you frame the patient, include the taxidermis and see what DDX that activates, like the hypersensitivity pneumonitis that you mentioned, and then exclude it from your one-liner and see what differential diagnosis it activates. I like that. That's good. So so take the taxidermis out of your one-liner and how would you, what would be your differential diagnosis in this patient? I don't know if it would really change much, honestly. I mean, but the problem represent. Know, I think what he's asking us to do is say what the problem. The problem representation would be: this is a forty-year-old male yeah. with a chronic cough, dyspnea on exertion, and weight loss. Um, that would be sort of yeah. like our initial. And then it, with the taxidermist, it's like this is a forty-year-old male with chronic cough, dyspnea on exertion, weight loss, and he happens to be a taxidermist. His boss right. has a similar cough. I mean, I, I would still the the fact that his boss has a similar cough to me. Um, un- until proven otherwise, I would consider that as part, at least to reorder my my differential diagnosis, yeah. to say this has to be something communicable. Now, whether that has anything to do with his taxidermist um, career, job, So that would either hobby. be infectious, most likely infectious, yeah, or they're right, exposed exactly. to the same thing in the environment, exactly. like some sort of chemical. Yes, yes. Okay. And then if, if, we, if we take out the taxidermy thing, I think we're looking at, we're looking at things like um, ILD, we're looking at... Uh, malignancy, mm-hmm. um, yeah, silicosis. Auto- I'm trying to think. Like, wh- what do they actually use to bind? In this, is why, this is why this is going to end in a Google Chrome search again. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? <laughs> and I'll tell you, I'm really sad. And if we can edit this part out, if I'm completely off base, like I, I do. So another consideration is this sort of like a primary pulmonary process, or are these pulmonary symptoms secondary to another process going on? So. I mean, you guys kind of went right to this, the lower extremity edema being due to sort of increased right-sided pressures. Like, I wonder, like, I just, I worry this guy, like, I like, you mentioned nephrotic syndrome, Matt, which kind of sprung right to mind. Like, I wonder if this is not like, I mean, granted, he would not be losing weight with volume overload, but like, maybe this is some pulmonary edema we're seeing, and then some lower extremity edema due to some, some protein loss or something. I don't know. So, I wouldn't be surprised, just feeling dumb already. Yeah, we don't know the renal or liver function. I mean, there's, yeah. last time Stuart was mentioning, like, uh, basement membrane disease, uh, whatever. The uh, GBM. Um, okay, well, let, can we see the next uh, part of the, the diagnostics? Let's do it. So luckily you got a creatinine. Um, so his white count That's is 10,000. His BUN is 36 and his creatinine <clears throat> is 3.2. So BUN creatinine ratio, while the, it's not exactly gold standard, suggests more intrinsic renal, which would be expected if he has like some kind of immune complex mediated um, could also be some kind of glomerulonephritis, the white blood cell count elevation. I mean, this kind of still smells like infectious at this point. This better not so. be uh, this that retroperitoneal <laughs> <laughs> fibrosis again. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> IgG4 retroperitoneal fibrosis. Yeah. So, I mean, we have renal failure. So that, that kind of explains the uh, high blood pressure, the low extremity edema. Mm-hmm. And the white sure. count, white count's not too impressive. You know, this patient's not septic. Uh, we weren't really suspecting sepsis in this person. I mean, it, it, it's less likely anyway with that white count. Um, 
And sometimes in inflammatory conditions, the white count's pretty high. This is sort of a top normal white count. Right. So to reorder, yeah, I mean, I, I think infectious or inflammatory um, malignancy is seeming less likely on the diagnosis here um, in in either in either problem representation for me. Um, yeah. Say that again, Matt. You do well. You do have the weight. Yeah, I mean, is malignancy? Do we want to? What do we want to move at the top of the differential right now? I think the top of my differential is still going to be infectious. So atypical pneumonias, mycoplasma, chlamydia, tuberculosis. Um, yeah, you could still have a hypersensitivity pneumonitis, although I, it doesn't wouldn't necessarily explain the the creatinine. Again, is it noise or is it associated? It's hard to tell. Um, and is there is there some process? Uh, we we thought you said you thought this was intrinsic. Um, I would agree right. with you there because it could be some pro- something that's potentially attacking the the lungs and the kidneys. But this is, and we mentioned GBM, but this is a uh, we don't know for sure it's intrinsic. So it could also be that this person has like an obstruction obstructive process of some sort or infiltrative as it was last time, which I didn't see coming. So, <laughs> um, any other, anything else to add to the differential? Um, what about just like a weird presentation for Lyme? I don't, yeah, I, I guess it could be. I just don't, uh, I mean, with the, you know, one of these skins could have had a, a tick, or so this could be a vector-borne illness of some sort. Yeah, I, um, I think we, we've got to think vector-borne. Yeah, I mean, we'll, uh, hopefully we'll get, they, they gave us the white count. We don't really have the platelets. A lot of the a lot of the tick-borne illnesses will have, like, thrombocytopenia. They'll have liver, liver function abnormalities, which we don't have those yet either. And uh, I'd still like to see a, a chest X-ray in this person. I think that would be uh, exceedingly helpful. Wait, did you did you just click the next clue or no? No, I'm just guessing uh, or a urinalysis. <laughs> he so he he wants the next clue. I and think. I would I would it's, like to look at a urinalysis too to see if there's proteinuria here. If is it a bland urinalysis or is it is there blood? Is there protein, etc. Right. So I think before we go on, I just again we're sort of in the same boat where we were. Like this this feels like Groundhog Day. Where we're having sort of maybe multi organ involvement. Um, <laughs> I just I don't. <laughs> I want to throw out, like, have we considered other things? Like, we're anchoring pretty hard to infection because we've got some history. Have we? And then also the the boss. So I don't think it's the wrong thing, but we thought about things like vascular disease or other other sort of multi-organ diseases. So it's I'm trying to remember the one that, that does the, the renal function in the lungs. Um, the IgA. Anti-GBM. Oh, good pastures. Yeah, good yeah. pastures. Yeah, so it could be, it could be a vasculitis. Uh, sure, sure. So on chest X-ray, uh, you know, enlarged cardiac silhouette with clear costophrenic angles and no focal consolidations. So our our lung exam sucks because we heard Rawls. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So enlarged cardiac silhouette. So enlarged cardiac silhouette. Um, maybe some LVH because his blood pressure's high. Yeah. This could be new hypertensive heart disease with, you know, lower extremity edema. Um, yeah. He's tachycardic. He's got high blood pressure. He's, you know, the, he, he's he's losing weight. Um, that certainly could be it. He's got the chronic cough. And then he's got some cardiorenal syndrome, so that could explain it. And the mm-hmm. question would be, why is he having the, why, you know, is it if it's not hypertensive heart disease, 
what else would cause cardiomegaly here? We talked about infiltrative things um, before. Is this amyloidosis? Yeah. He's got a elevated creatinine. He's got an enlarged heart. And they're not really giving us like neuropathy type stuff, but that's possible. So what about like, uh, so LVH can have that appearance. What Sarcoidosis like, again. What about like dilated cardiomyopathies too? So you could also have like, uh, like Chagas disease would be a weird presentation for that. Um, yeah, I, I feel like they give us, it doesn't that cause swallowing issues too, like dysphagia? It, 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 yeah, it can cause some like mega esophagus, dilated cardiomyopathy. Mm-hmm. Um, trying to think of other dilated cardiomyopathies, but. So be, do you want to get the because last it isn't, clue? Or isn't, we, we, isn't Chagas disease also, I'm trying to think, uh, what's the vector for Chagas disease? A oh. Reduvid bug. Oh, there you okay. go. Thank you, Hannah. I'm the third year med student. I'm just gonna. Sure. I'm gonna tell you. <laughs> That's fine. Go, Redubid. Hannah. Okay, and where is that endemic to? Surely, I want to say that. it's South or Central America. Central America is it? Just for fun, while I was kind of prepping for this episode, I looked up uh, the epidemiology of Chagas disease in Texas <laughs> in the southern United States. Um, and uh, actually, it's supposed to be moving northward in the next kind of 50 years because of... Did you just give us the answer? I, I, forgot, I forgot this is in Texas, so Lyme disease would be super low. Starry. There's starry. Uh, southern tick-related illness, you know? <laughs> Lone star disease. Yeah, I, I, I believe that also has a rash and everything. Uh, this We don't have a ton to go by. But yeah, we, we have that on our differential... I feel like I'm hanging my head on good pastures. I actually, okay. As I'm ruminating, I'm just going to commit because usually this is a, this is where the diagnostic clue comes up where I'm completely wrong. But I'm just going to. Right. We have to commit to something at some point. All right, good pastures. You're going to give steroids. Got it. He gets septic and dies. So you're th- so you're thinking more of an autoimmune inflammatory process. I, I really I think am. Infiltrative up there, and then I would say like some sort of exposure related. Um, you know, inf- inflammation. I, I don't know what to call it. Like you said, what did you say? Warthog fanciers disease? Paul? Yeah, warthog fanciers like disease. Probably something along those lines. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm going to go with warthog fanciers. Stuart, before we look at the last clue, do you want to? No, I'm good. Okay. Yeah. Reduvid bug. You're, you're going with Chagas. Okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, so you guys can click the last clue. Um, it's a TTE. And uh, oh, the ejection no. fraction is less than 15 with biventricular dilation. Oh, no. But his boss has a cough, too. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I mean, there's, there's other than the uh, taking out the taxidermist thing, this, this could just be a new onset uh, heart failure. Heart failure. I, I had a yeah. case of this at Cashlack very recently, uh, and it was yeah. just a dude with hypertension that was never treated. With a taxidermist? I'm sorry. <laughs> was he a taxidermist? No, no, no. For HIPAA purposes, I won't tell you what he did, but I will make it up. Um, he worked at Chuck E. Cheese, and Good. so you know, I was thinking Chuck E. Cheese related occupational exposure. Cheese fanciers, well? <laughs> cheese fanciers. Yes, thank you, Hannah. Thank you for uh, saving my bad joke. I wish I had the deep pool for the name of the band, but I just could not come up with it to save my life. Oh, I am ashamed. <laughs> Paul, Look I am so surprised that you did not have the name of the Chuck E. Cheese band. Stuart, can you can you look it up for us? <laughs> um, I should know it, actually. Um, 
I don't know. It doesn't matter. Stuart eats there twice a week. It's it's. Uh... <laughs> oh goodness! No, I do not. <laughs> what does this have to do with with heart failure? Uh, I guess well, it has I think everything. I'm locking in salt. my diagnosis as hypertensive heart disease. I don't know. What's well, dilated? So. Yeah, but I mean, over. I guess. I mean, if it's there long enough, it can dilate. But yeah, you're right. That's it, true. It could be. It's a non it's ischemic cardiomyopathy, um, probably from hypertensive heart disease. That would be the most common. I, th- that would, you know, in real life, that would be more common. On now, we're doing human. He's got Chagas disease. So, it could be, it so could did be... fall asleep, or did he, is he busy writing letters to our local medical boards to get us? <laughs> <laughs> Reza, why don't you talk us through what you think's going on here? Because I feel like we're just floundering here. He 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 obviously has heart failure. The thing is. I don't know. It's a weird presentation. I, I, I love Matt's, uh, you know, theory of, you know, a common diagnosis of heart failure. Um, and I just will, maybe I'll do this in the cognitive autopsy, but I think you guys have, um, you guys put together a, a terrific differential diagnosis. And I think ultimately Matt honing in on, on common problems being common um, will probably yield the best result. Clue, so we clue. so we shouldn't ask Jeeves what he thinks because that was our <laughs> <laughs> that was our pre episode plan. Um, for for some of our younger listeners, there was there was an early search engine that that failed. It was called Ask Jeeves, <laughs> and uh, we were all really pulling for it. So, um, okay, so so we'll go with uh, we'll go with non ischemic cardiomyopathy, probably from hypertensive heart disease. Um, unless Paul or Stuart, you guys want something else. Paul, I mean, we don't have a urinalysis. Like, we don't have, we don't have a lot of like not, uh, stuff to point us that this is an autoimmune condition. I feel like that's right. That's right. Yeah, in the absence, in the absence of more sort of shocking data, I'll, 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 I'll hang my shingle with you, Matt. I'm, I got nothing better. But, but I will say, Paul, your thought was great because you did have the pulmonary syndromes and you have renal insufficiency. So thinking of pulmonary renal syndromes is definitely appropriate, and a UA would be helpful in that setting to look for yeah. red cells. Right. All right, so the patient was diagnosed with new onset heart failure from dilated cardiomyopathy. Uh, With diuresis, he lost five pounds and his creatinine improved to 2.8. He was referred for outpatient stress testing to begin working up the ideology. So we way overthought this one is what you're telling me. <laughs> probably, they, probably, they probably diagnosed this guy in the ER with a chest X-ray, but I'm sure he got a big workup, but, you know, after well, the so that, yeah. That's the kind of interesting thing is, um, so we asked the case writers to give us their own cognitive autopsies for the case, and they kind of had the same thing when they worked through it. So the ER, when they requested admission for this person, they requested admission for a 40-year-old taxidermist with cough and likely zoonotic infection. (laughs) And the team had the same thing. They were like, oh my gosh, this must be an atypical pneumonia. And of course, they also had up-to-date at their disposal, so they probably had like many, many more serologic tests to think of to send. Yeah. Um, and so they actually, they had the same question and that's why I think it's such an interesting case. Yeah. Stuart and I worked with a, a, a rheumatologist when we were working together down in Texas. We called him Uncle Juan and he would say that for his autoimmune panel, he wouldn't start, he would just send like a CBC, a comprehensive metabolic panel, a urinalysis, maybe an ESR or CRP. And if none of that, showed up with anything, then he would sort of leave it at that. You know, it's probably, unless the physical exam is really screaming autoimmune, then they would kind of not bark up that tree too much. Um, 
And we didn't really have that information here. I'm depressed. I feel less bad about ourselves. It's I, I feel like there was some selectively omitted information that would have been very helpful, you know, and it's this did not present sort of like your classic heart failure either, right? Because they have a stone cold normal chest x-ray. You have focal rolls on examination. Like so there's there's a little bit that doesn't quite line up with sort of your usual uh, problem representation of of No, the chest bit. x-ray was no, no, the chest x-ray for this one was dilated like cardi it was a the heart's enlarged on the chest x-ray. Yeah. It was the Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. I think I'm depressed because the ER got a really good social history, and that makes no sense. <laughs> yeah, well, there's that. <laughs> like, why did... I mean, it's like the, the ER was anchoring on this. Like, this is the one time in medical student history... Well, that's not the one time. It happens all the time. Sorry. But where it, like, it, it misleads you tremendously. I, I wanted to ask Reza, would you, would you do, like, would you do a Venn diagram for... We talked about one for dyspnea, one for cough... Would you have done one for weight loss as well in this case? Or I will say that there's something interesting about anchoring. If you anchor and arrive at the correct diagnosis, you're a genius. <laughs> if you anchor <laughs> yeah. and arrive at the incorrect diagnosis, then you anchored and it's a bias. But anchoring is not a bad thing. Like we do that every day because we can't have the broadest of differential diagnosis for each patient we see. We rely on our reflexive thinking. But to answer your question, Matt, I, I thought you guys did. I thought you guys did a stellar job. I mean, um, starting with Stuart, who listed the differential diagnosis for chronic cough. Um, Stuart, can you just remind the audience what that DDX was? It was uh, GERD, postnasal drip, asthma, eosinophilic bronchitis, and other rare causes. Beautiful. And then we talked about dyspnea on exertion with the, the pyramid of shortness of breath, including pathology of the heart, the lung, the blood, and metabolic acidosis. And then Matt, you created your schema for lower extremity edema. And you said, is it the heart, the liver, the kidney? And then I think the weight loss was very difficult because if we said this was a patient who was presenting with dyspnea on exertion, chronic cough, lower extremity edema, and cardiomegaly, most yeah. of you, most of us would say, oh, that's heart failure. That's like what you, if you put that into the Google Chrome search engine, I promise I was going to mention Google Chrome, Matt. I got it, right? <laughs> <laughs> that would give you the diagnosis. But when you have the weight loss, then it becomes difficult because you're like, how can you reconcile weight loss and heart failure symptoms, for example? Then you start thinking about infections like endocarditis. You talked about an endocrinopathy like hyperthyroidism. Um, but weight loss in general, it's like, there's weight loss and then there's weight loss. And it's very difficult to purposely lose 25 pounds. You know, right. so if someone tells you they've lost 25 pounds, then you have to think about some type of inflammatory disorder. So I, I think we just don't include like the cardiac cachexia as part of our problem representation mm -hmm. for typical heart failure. And that's why this case was so wrong. And that's why I missed this case when I tried to solve it in Human DX. Oh, I you, was, you did? Yes, I did. Oh. I think I missed that. I think I wasn't listening. <laughs> wow, I feel so much better. <laughs> Absolutely, because it's so so easy to fall into that trap of zoonotic infections, hypersensitive pneumonitis, weight loss. But then this just reminds us, and Steph did such a beautiful job. And Hannah, thank you for selecting this case, that common things are common. But in 40-year-olds, I, I don't know. I am troubled. Um and yeah, that's not. <laughs> yeah, that, I mean, that's a good point. That's a good. Yeah, it's, it I mean, for hypertensive heart disease for a forty-year-old, it had to have been wildly out of control. So it's just, it's, there's something. It's this still case. I feel like is more complicated. I happen to know where you practice, Paul, and I know yeah. you get one of these a month. Like you know, you've see you see patients in their forties and fifties with with heart, you know, heart new onset heart failure. Oh, you a hundred percent you do, but it's not. 
I, I would argue that's not the bread and butter heart failure either. I, I feel like that's more the exception than the rule. No, it's not. No. The the first patient I ever diagnosed with heart failure was 35. I, I distinctly recall him. Do you remember the etiology, Stuart? Uh, so it was thought to be cocaine-induced uh, hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, but I dug a little bit deep, and he actually had a, a genetic predisposition for di- uh, dilated cardiomyopathy. He was a pastor, um, and I thought it was unusual that he was that he carried this diagnosis of cocaine-induced uh, cardiomyopathy or uh, hypertensive cardiomyopathy. Um, so, because all of his U- UDSs were negative, and yet still in his chart everywhere it had cocaine-induced. Oh. But it was a genetic predisposition, ultimately, is what the uh, diagnosis came out to. Yeah, and I guess that's my point. And this is just more sour grapes. But like I've seen it with like untreated hyperthyroidism, too. Uh, but usually there's something else that's kind of driving it in these sort of younger patients that have heart failure to this extent. And I, I just feel like there's it's – it's a really interesting case that I would be obsessing over if I actually took care of this patient. And I'll probably still be obsessing over this pretend patient. <laughs> yeah, for my part, when I tried to solve this in Human DX, I went down this like tularemia rabbit hole. <laughs> yeah, that's no. a good pun there. It's a great pun. I love it. Yeah, yeah, I've got this whole list that I'm looking at right now of all of the things that I thought it could be that were zoonotic. So like Q fever, schistosomiasis. Yeah. I was trying to get all these other zoonotic diseases to fit the presentation. I was like, yeah, you could have pulmonary Lyme, sure. <laughs> I think not having a deep knowledge of zoonotic diseases was to the advantage here, uh, because otherwise <laughs> we probably would have gone down the, what did you say, Hannah, a tularemia rabbit hole? That That's a be... wonderful quote. We didn't, we didn't have to say <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, that's it for today's show. As I told you, this will be continued in two days, so look out for the next episode of Cashlack Morning Report with the Human Diagnosis Project. This has been another episode of The Curbsiders, bringing you a little knowledge food for your brain hole. Yummy. Get show notes. There we go. I thought I could make it through. <laughs> Get show notes at thecurbsiders.com forward slash podcast and sign up for our mailing list at thecurbsiders.com forward slash knowledge food to get our weekly show notes in your inbox. We're committed to providing you with high value practice changing knowledge. And to do that, we need your feedback. So please subscribe, rate and review the show on iTunes or contact us at thecurbsiders at gmail.com. A special thanks to Dr. Stephanie Sherman, Zavin Sargassian, Anand Jagannath, John Wong, Dr. Robbie Jiha um, for contributing cases, to myself for producing, and to our social media team, me on Twitter, uh, Beth Garbs Garbatelli on Instagram, and Chris the Chew Manchu on Facebook. Uh, until next time, I've been Hannah R. Abrams. Thank you, Hannah, for all your great work on, on this episode and the previous one. Seriously, you did an amazing job. Uh, and I've been Dr. Matthew Frank Watto. And I remain Dr. Paul Nelson Williams. And good night. And Stuart is not here to sign off. Good night, Stuart. (laughs) Good night, Stuart. Good night, Stuart.
care for this. 